Awesome. That's God that we can say that about, an awesome God. Well, we're glad you're here this morning, continuing our Lyft series. Let me ask you. Yeah, we don't mind the cooler weather, do we? Do we, Paul? Thank you. Hey, (coughs) excuse me. Have you ever been driving home from work or church or the market or someplace, and before you realize it, you're home, and you don't even remember making the turns to get there? You know what I mean? Some of you are nodding your heads already. You're like, yeah. Now, I'm not saying you fell asleep or something like that. It's just that you're so familiar, you know, in your mind. You're so familiar. Your mind sometimes kind of goes on autopilot, and you're thinking about something else, and you don't notice the things that you see over and over again. You know, it just kind of happens, kind of the same place, same thing, and you're there. Have you ever had that happen? Uh, maybe it's more of a guy thing. I think I saw a couple of women's heads nod too, though, so maybe that's, maybe that's either gender. Well, here's the idea. When we do anything over and over again, pretty much the exact same way, it might start to feel comfortable and familiar, and, uh, and that's okay, but it also may become a little stale or a little dull through repetition, and it loses its freshness, you know, kind of loses its pizzazz or its spark. Well, today we want to take a fresh look at something that we do at church every week. And because we do it at church every single week, it can sometimes become ritualistic and familiar. You know, it can kind of lose its energy and its vitality. And it's really tragic if it gets to that point. I mean, tragic to us and disappointing to God, quite frankly. Today, we want to get a fresh perspective on the subject of worship, on the subject of worship. And we want to drive the same path, that same path that we do every week to encounter the Lord, but we want to be fully conscious of every single turn along the way, okay? Every single second of the drive, and we want to appreciate every moment. Now, in this series that we've called Lift, we've been taking one psalm a week, pretty much, to see how God would prompt us to take our eyes off ourselves and our eyes off of the world, you know, the hassles of day-to-day life, and instead lift our eyes and our hearts and our whole selves to God, God who provides beyond what we can imagine. And it's really been a great series, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 95. If you have your Bible, you can crack it open to Psalm 95. We're going to camp out there and cover every verse, and we're going to stay right there. And we want to look at Psalm 95 to see how God might instruct us to lift, to lift our eyes to him and worship. Now, our goal today is this. I'm going to be right out front here to see, right as we get started, that you would get a fresh perspective on worship. Fresh perspective on God and a fresh perspective on worship. Now, that the familiar and perhaps routine would become fresh and new and vital. And I think Psalm 95 can take us there. Now, I have to be honest with you as we get started. This morning is not a topical study on worship. Psalm 95 does not say everything about worship that you can find in the Bible. I'm a passionate person about worship. There are many passages that cover many things. And the Bible expands worship to many, many things. And they're all awesome. You know, we could really easily do a whole series uh, of Sunday mornings on worship. And maybe someday we'll do that. But today we're going to focus strictly on Psalm 95. Okay, we're going to stick to right what's there. And I think you'll see there's enough here to fill our time together. But beyond that, to really give us that fresh perspective that we've talked about. So that the driving home, so to speak, is fresh and new and joyful. So what do we see in Psalm 95? If you have your Bible, you're there. Of course, it's printed in your outlines and appears on the screens. If you want to take some notes, there's a few chances to fill in the blanks as well. But first of all, Psalm 95 describes worship as responding to God with all you got. Responding to God with all you got. Worship really is responding to God, who he is and what he does. And when we see who God is and what he does, worship is when we allow all of that that we take in to sink in 
and not just get there, but sink in and take root, so much so that we can't help but respond to him. Now, worship is not partial response, half-hearted response, kind of lukewarm response, occasional response. It's response to who God is, and it's giving God all you got, okay? All you got. Now, when we read the term worship in the New Testament, this was interesting to me. The word that's most often used in the original language usually means something you give your life to, something you give your life to. A one-word substitution might be sacrifice, Wait, really? Worship is, is that intense and that extreme? It really is. I'm giving myself to him completely in a, in a, um, in a sense, sacrificing my life to him. And that's what worship is. My, my whole life sacrifice given to him. Now, I want to say as we kind of lay the table this morning that everybody's different, which is beautiful, okay? God designed us to be different from each other, right? Some of you are more different than others, but God designed it that way, and that's okay. See, everyone, so everyone's life, when we say give it all you've got, give it all you got, it's going to, your all you got is going to look different than my all you got, isn't it? Because we might got different things, right? I know that grammar's bad, but I got your attention, right? Did he really say that? Your God is different from my God, right? So, but the key here is that true worship, as we'll see in Psalm 95, is responding to God with all that you got, okay? The measurement, in a sense, the barometer there just focuses on you. So let's take a look at Psalm 95 so we can try to capture this fresh perspective on worship, all right? Now, first, to get a fresh perspective on worship, we talked about what worship is, but how to get there. First of all, we need to look at God's greatness and respond with praise, We look at God's greatness and we respond with praise. Now we're going to dive right into Psalm 95 starting at verse 1 here into the first five verses. It says this, it says, and this was our our welcome, our theme verse this morning as we get started. It says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands, his hands formed the dry land too. So here we are, we see, we see in this passage, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at who God is. Now, i got to be honest, you have lots of space to fill in your own notes today. So if you're like a fill-in-the-blank person, I didn't give you too many fill-in-the-blanks. I either could give you 50 this morning or leave some space, and that's on purpose, okay? Not too many fill-in-the-blanks, just more room for you to write down what really hits you as we talk things over this morning, okay? We'll start with what we see about God, and then we'll look at our worshipful, sacrificial response in kind of the two halves of the Psalms we do that. All right, you can write nothing down, or you can pack it in there and see what see what God says to you this morning. Now, we see here in Psalm ninety five as we get started, we see quite simply that God is great. Okay, this isn't just kind of like God is great. You know, <laughs> this is like Tony the Tugger. God is great, right? I know it's a little dated, but you get the idea. Those of us that are of a certain age, right? Now, this writer of Psalm ninety five is not going to let us say, "Yeah, yeah, God is great." How many times have I heard that? I get it. What's next? Let's move on, right? It's kind of an unobvious one. He says, "Hold on." Hold on, we need to expand a little bit on God's greatness so we can reflect on it. You see, if my worship is, if worship is going to be my response to God, I can't just kind of do, yeah, God's great next. Wait, wait, what? God's great next? Is there a next? Does there need to be a next? Right? Okay, so let's look at these verses so we can see God's greatness, okay, and expand a little bit. We see God's greatness, first of all, in that he is 
the Lord. And it says, I'm just going to walk through these first few verses that are there. He is the Lord. Now listen, he's not a Lord, but the Lord, okay? Lord means leader in a sense, and God is the leader over all. He is master and commander over all things. And even though he's allowed Satan to you know, exercise some control for a period of time on this earth, please don't be deceived. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, okay? That's reality. That's truth. He is the Lord, okay? That's a great God. Next, we see that God is the rock of our salvation, okay? The rock of our salvation. Now, that term, the rock, sounds pretty um, solid, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Pretty steady right there. Now, there's a former professional wrestler turned movie star. I don't know if I can call him an actor, but I can call him a movie star, uh, named Dwayne Johnson, who calls himself The Rock. Have you seen anything by The Rock? Or if you're an old-time, you know, wrestler, professional wrestling fan, like The Rock is considered one of the all-time greatest professional wrestlers. He calls himself The Rock, and I got to tell you, although he's got some major muscle going on, kind of all over his body there, you know, yeah, he's, a, he's a big deal. He is a very small pebble compared to God, right? He's a very small pebble compared to God, who is The Rock, of our salvation. Sorry, Dwayne, it's true. <laughs> you know, simply defined, the rock of our salvation means this, that God is our warrior, our defender, our king, and he is solid, a solid place to stand that isn't just a place for our feet, but that all encompasses and takes care of us in every way. It's a big deal. That's a great God, okay? Next, is God a great God? Well, it says right there, the Lord is a great God. He's saying it again and again in different ways. The Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Now, this is holding God up to be the all-time, all-powerful God with a capital G over all those small gods with a small g that litter the landscape, both in the old days and now. Back then, a lot of people believed in individual gods of almost everything. These would be small g gods, okay, to be honest. But there was a god of, like a god of the wind and a god of the fire and a god of the air and a god of the water and god of the trees, you know. And the psalmist is saying here, hey, y'all, my god is red hot. Your god ain't diddly squat. I mean, that's what he's saying here. He says, this, I got the big G, capital G god here. You don't got a god. You got little g gods of this and that, and they ain't nothing, what he's saying. He's getting passionate about it because he's saying it again and again. Hey, he's the Lord, not a Lord. He's the God. He's a great God. He's the rock. He's this. And he's starting to foam with the mouth a little bit, you know? Now today, uh, you know, people are more apt to worship small g gods, things like wealth and material things and possessions or technology or fame or even themselves. Okay, that's true. But talk about small g gods even today. It's almost embarrassing. Worship those things. <laughs> Sometimes I maybe do a little bit. Is he a great God? It says that he has, it goes on to say, he has created everything. And he talks about the extremes, not just the earth, but the depths of the earth. Not just little hills and mountains, but the mightiest mountains. The entire sea that covers over 70% of the earth. He created that and he owns it. He didn't just create it by accident and kind of, oh, look what happened. You know, he planned it, he designed it, and he actively holds it all in his hands right here. That is is a great God, not a, yeah, he's a great God next. That is a great God. So at some point as a psalmist writes this in, he's going, look at this. Look at this. No, wait, don't move on. Look at this. That's a great God. What's your response? Me? Yeah, what's our response? It's all interlaced here. Our response to God's greatness. Remember, we're going to see that our worship demands that we give God our all. Again, in these verses, we see I want to take a look at him here, that uh, first of all, our response is it talks about singing to God. 
Come, let us sing. Let us sing to this great God, the Lord. Now, not do you feel like singing. Not do you have a good voice. Does your spouse think you have a good voice, you know? Not those things. He says, put it out there and sing. Because, and here's why. Singing is a unique thing. Both, of, both, both in the old culture, but even today, singing is kind of a personal thing. Thing, you know, you talk to someone about their singing and they take it, they take it personally, you know, you put it out there and sing, he says, because singing, singing doesn't just engage the vocal cords, it engages the mind and the heart in a sense, it engages the will and the spirit and the heart, it's an art, it involves our all really if there's singing that goes on, certainly it doesn't have to involve your heart, but, but true singing will. Now, for some of us, our singing makes us self-conscious, but you know, <laughs> my singing but that's really looking at ourselves not him it's not a response to somebody else or to ourselves it's a response to him and the response is to say sing to him praise him our great god deserves our songs of praise now lest you think that you can sing quietly and maybe just kind of hum under your breath or maybe just even sing in your mind you know that's good enough isn't it yeah I'd be good enough, I guess, if he was one of those puny small G gods that we just talked about, right? You know, the little G gods that are there. But this is not. This is the big God. Now, lest you think that those things are true, verse 1 goes on to make it clear. It tells us not just to sing, but it tells us to, excuse me, shout! That's what it says. I, I mean, I said it, but it says it. It tells us to shout, to sing and to shout both. And let's make some noise. That's what it's saying. It says, make a joyful noise. Shout with an attitude of joy that bubbles up from within when we look at God's greatness. I look at God's greatness and I can't contain myself. My voice starts getting louder. I'm sorry. But it just kind of does. And hopefully yours would too if you got a chance to talk about it some. And, and don't worry, it doesn't tell us to make a beautiful noise necessarily right? It's not there, you know, because sometimes we get so concerned about the beauty. If it's noise for God, it's beautiful for God, and that's who we're making it for. Some of us know our singing can't really classify as beautiful, (laughs) but we can be joyful. That's a choice to make to say it's God that this is about, and it might not be pretty to you, but to God, when I'm making some noise for him, he's smiling. (laughs) We can engage our hearts and be loud when the time is right, Because God is a great God, and he deserves to be cheered for. He deserves to be applauded. He deserves to be shouted for, danced for, to do the hokey pokey for, whatever it takes to give him your all in praise, right? Whatever it takes, yeah. A woo-hoo is good, even first service. If I get a woo-hoo in first service, we are moving. (laughs) Let's pray. Now, Pastor John, I hear what you're saying, but I'm... I'm just not a loud person. God didn't make me that way. I I praise God in the quietness of my heart. Now, I want to tell you, I get that. Remember, I I told you at the beginning, a little while back, that God made us all different, you know? And so when he asks for our all, that giving them our all, right, all you got, is going to look different from person to person, okay? And I get that. But but here's an interesting thought, because for many of us that would say that, it would be us guys, you know, John, I'm just, you know, maybe not a loud person, I had an interesting thought as I prepared this week. So many of us men who might say, I'm just not that loud of a person at church. That's just not my thing. That's just not me. I want to watch a football game with y'all to see how loud you really are or how loud you can be, right, you know? Touchdown for come duck win in the last seconds and we're chest bumping and high-fiving and we're doing a little this. We're going, yeah, baby, yelling at a television screen. Have you been there like last week? Well, not with football, maybe, but you know what? We do these things. My kids gave me these for 
Christmas a few years back, these little tiny foam footballs, so if I get mad, I can throw them at the television screen and not damage something, you know? I'm, I don't get mad at sports or anything. But, um, but we get into it, don't we, you know? We're excited, we're, yeah, and we're, we show it, because that's what we do in our culture, you know? No embarrassment here, because we love us some Niners football, or whatever your flavor is, you know, whatever you're into. But then we find ourselves here at church, and it just doesn't feel right to think that we might actually get demonstrative here at church on Sunday morning. We just haven't done it that way, and it feels a little bit awkward. And you know what? Remember that worship is sacrifice and giving yourself fully to the great God, and maybe, just maybe, God deserves some of that same excitement that we give to our favorite sports teams. Our motivation, our motivation comes not from the guy up front telling you what to do, but from an attitude of gratitude, really. Because it says in these verses here, it says to come to him with an attitude of thanksgiving. And that's what should spur on our hearts. We, we see our great God who loves us so much, who protects us and saves us and shields us and guides us and overwhelms us with his grace. And we can't help but be thankful. I hope we're thankful. And, and if we're truly thankful, we express that gratitude often to the degree that we're thankful. Big thankfulness, wow, God, gets a big response. Dare you to do it? Dare you to do it? Now, remember what today is. Set it up. Giving you a fresh perspective on worship. Not necessarily a comfortable perspective on worship, but a fresh one. And I'm just unpacking Psalm 95. We're through five verses. Well, secondly, to get a fresh perspective on worship, we need to look at God's love. We looked at his greatness, but next it says to look at God's love and respond with worship and obedience. Look at God's love and respond with worship and obedience. Now, we're going to go right back to Psalm 95 to see this play out the next couple of verses. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. So who is God as revealed here? Oh, He's way more than this, but we see in these verses that oh, we see the love of God in amazing ways. The love of God, it's very simply put, but it speaks powerfully. He, God is our maker. He is a great God, this huge God that made the universe, who holds it all together. He is not just this great big God, but he is our God. He's your God, our personal, intimate God. And he watches over us, not from a distance, but from up close and personal, intimately. We are, it says, the flock under his care. Now, some translations say we are the sheep we are the sheep of his hand, and I like that concept of God's hand taking care of sheep. We see God as our loving shepherd caring for us because we don't have a chance of adequately taking care of ourselves. We just don't. Sheep are just really stupid. God chose them on purpose when he talks about us. Sheep will eat themselves to death if the shepherd doesn't take care of them. You know, eat themselves, blow up, die, you know, overeat and stuff. And, and, and so God says, I'm taking care of you because I love you in that way. It's so beautiful. It's humbling, but it's true. Sheep are lost without a shepherd, and that describes us. And we see this God of greatness also be this God of intimacy and love. And then our response that it says, respond to the shepherd. And we see in these couple of verses just this very simple physical responses that are talked about. Here it says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before him, the Lord our maker, 
Sometimes worship of this loving shepherd, of, of this great God who loves us, deserves a physical response. Well, let me ask you this morning, have you ever kneeled before God physically? I'm not saying like, do you grow up Catholic? I mean, I guess that's a part of it if you did that ritualistically or something. But have maybe even done that privately um, on your own. It's awesome. It's humbling. It can elevate your connection with God. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't. But I'd take the next step and say, what about in public by choice? Would God want that? And, and is it okay to even do that here at church? Because we aren't Catholic. I mean, we don't have the little, you know, some of the churches that have the little places that kneel that make it comfortable and all that sort of stuff. And we don't ever tell you to do that, right? But what? I just thought, what if a song came up that the worship team was leading that took you right into Jesus' presence? You were just right there at the heart level. And, and as you saw Jesus, you almost just saw him there. Your physical response was to actually physically kneel before the king. Weird idea, huh? Weird, at Twin Cities Church? I'm not talking Twin Cities Church. I'm just talking Psalm 95, and I'm talking God here, and I'm thinking out loud, and I'm also working through Psalm 95. And See, I, as I look at this, this physical response, I think through in a very real way the whole idea of lifting your hands to the Lord. I think it fits right into the mix here as a physical response. Now, I love that our church is a place that allows you to worship the way you want within reason, <laughs> you know, right? Uh, some of you raise your hands sometimes during worship and others don't. And that's okay. That's great. God always, listen, listen, God always is more concerned with your heart than anything you do or don't do. Because I can raise my hands or not, and if my heart's not connected to God, it doesn't matter what I do, right? It's ritualistic. He's interested in my heart. But I want to tell you about my background briefly. I grew up in a Presbyterian church. <laughs> Now, I got to tell you, it was a great church in many ways, and I fell in love. I met the Lord Jesus there, in a sense, my time there through my family and stuff. It was a great church, and I fell in love with Jesus, but it was truly a Presbyterian church. <laughs> and that meant that the only time you took your hands out of your lap was when you actually held the hymnal to sing with the choir and the pipe organ, okay? That was when your hands came up. Now, I'm not putting that down. I, I honestly have a deep love for that tradition, okay? So this is not me making fun of that. I, I, I smile in remembrance of that. And there's wonderful thoughts and feelings connected. But my journey over maybe the last 20 years has led me slowly in a um, more free direction. Um, it's been slow. But, and I used to see people during those days, and I hit college and beyond, I used to see people kind of raise their hands or maybe raise their hands a lot. And maybe even get very emotionally involved into a service. And I'd kind of maybe raise an eyebrow. I'd, I'd get a little uncomfortable with that. You know, oh boy, you know, there they go again or something. And until I felt like maybe somewhere along the way, I wanted to take an extra step towards God and myself. And I said, maybe somebody's overdoing that. I don't know their heart or whatever else, but maybe there's something there. And, 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 I'm, and I felt like the Spirit leading me through this. And I started experimenting with raising my hands without a hymnal in them. <laughs> and it started pretty small and almost apologetically. You know, kind of one hand, a little off to the side, a little bit, and put them back down again, and then uncomfortable and clap or whatever, or people looking and stuff. And you know what? Over years of the journey, this just kind of happened. And here's the deal. It started small, but I've discovered for me, you guys, that when my heart is with the Lord, my physical response can be a humble surrender of my whole self to God, starting with my will. And I'll tell you this. It's not always comfortable for me, 
but it's a form of surrender to me. And along with my tradition and my background, this isn't like I didn't grow up in a church that did all this and was comfortable with that. It wasn't. It was comfortable with this. And so for me, anytime, I'm never just raising my hands. I'm giving myself to the Lord. My hands will be up. I'm receiving the Lord from the Lord, oh Lord. The, the song's leading me to just receive because God is showering his blessings. At, at the time, you know, if I'm just praising God and I'm like, he's worthy of my praise and one hand might go up. So, you know, for me, it's not been, this is when I raise my hand, it's been God's moving on me. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm always aware, like, is someone going to think, oh boy, what's John doing? Or is someone going to think the pastor's doing I should do it? Or someone's going to think, and I have to stop that and say, it's not about me or you, it's about God. And my journey has been a physical response to God, as, as tough as it's been for me, has been not only freeing, but it's increased my connection with the Lord because I'm surrendering. I'm aware that what I'm doing right here isn't, a, for me, it isn't about me. If it's this, if it's this, if it's, if it's this. It's a, ter- it's a form of surrender for me. Well, our, our second response to God's love, it, it said, is, is worship, and we talked about that, but is obedience, because that's where the verses go. I want to continue with verses 8 to 11, and all of a sudden we get this brief history lesson, but I want to put it in context. Remember, he said, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are his people, the sheep of his, of the sheep of his hand here, and it says, and it, then it goes on to say this in verse 8, if, if only you would listen to his voice today. <laughs> If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts. In other words, don't not listen and harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massai in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, God's saying, even though they saw everything I did. I'll explain this to you. Let's keep going. For 40 years, God said, I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They've seen me. You know, and I do for them, but they refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, Meribah and Massah were places in the Bible where the nation of Israel basically turned against God. uh, Moses had freed them from slavery in Egypt, and he led them out of there, and God works miracle after miracle after miracle, and not only keeping them alive, but providing for them and looking ahead to this promised land that he's promised for them for generations. And yet, in the midst of this, they doubted him, and they fussed, and they griped, and they complained, and they rebelled. They saw everything God had done for them, but that didn't... didn't, They they saw everything God had done for them, but they didn't listen to him. They didn't trust him, and they didn't didn't obey him. And God, though, he continued to love them. He he continued to love them, but but their disobedience cost them. As he says here, they, they weren't able to enter the promised land until that generation had all died off. That was the 40 years there. He says, you know what? You aren't with me entirely? Okay, I'll let you die, and I'll bring the next group in. We'll try again here. It was a big deal to God. So, here we see this beautiful psalm that's like, respond to God, yes, respond to God. Oh, and I was shouting with kneeling, with hands, respond to God. God says, respond to me with worship and praise. I am the great God above all who also loves you more than you know, and I want you to listen to me because it needs to go to your heart. Listen to my words. Listen to my promptings. Listen to my leadings and my promises and respond. Follow me simply as a sheep follows the shepherd. That following, it's yet another physical response to God. God's call is to respond to him with your all today. Listen to him, celebrate his greatness, and immerse yourself in his love. Now, 
those are some great words and they can tug at your heart a bit. Oh, respond to him, follow him. And, and all that's fine, but I want to make this extremely practical for today as I really do want to give you a fresh perspective on worship. I want to encourage you to step out of your comfort zone a tiny bit today. Whatever that comfort zone is, we're in different places. But at least in your heart, please in your heart, if not in your actions. Now, maybe God is encouraging you to give a bit more of yourself today in worship in response to who he is because we've talked about some of you couldn't give any more of yourself than you do. But you may not be sure that it'll feel comfortable right now. Is John suggesting something here? I'm not sure I'm comfortable. You know, even though it may intrigue you, the idea... Well, I want to rush to assure you, it may not feel comfortable. <laughs> you know, you say, I'm not just going to feel comfortable. Oh, let me encourage you and assure you that it, you're right, it might not. But that may not be a good reason not to try it, you know. Now, we're going to have a chance to practice worship in a few minutes as our worship team comes back out. And I want to tell you up front that there is no wrong response on your part. This is between you and the Lord, Okay total authorization and total freedom right now it is not wrong simply to close your eyes and sit there in silence that is fine but maybe God is speaking to you today to respond a bit more than you're accustomed to and I want to encourage you to listen to the voice of the Lord in your heart okay to listen to him now here are some things I want to caution you with and encourage you with the band is going to sing a beautiful worship song that we're going to listen to and respond to God, not to, to the band or to me. And then we're going to actually have a time ourselves to participate in a, in a short praise time. And this is our practical time. This is our little lab then to put something into practice perhaps. But here's some cautions and encouragements. First, don't make it a show, you know. God will not receive worship from you if it's more about how you look than your heart. It's not a show, and it's not to be a distraction to others because you get so far out there, right? God is a God of balance. Secondly, though, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to dig deep, to try something new. If you can celebrate sports, you can celebrate celebrate the undisputed champion of the world, right? That's God. And that may, may be with some sort of a physical response. Third, listen carefully, please. Don't worship the emotion, and don't worship worship. I've seen that happen in the last 10, 15 years, and worship leaders have seen, started to see it happen too. As, gosh, the concept of worship starts taking priority over God. We're not worshiping worship, okay? We don't put an emotion and worship up on a pedestal. We aren't pursuing an emotional experience. We're pursuing the living God. Keep it about him and not about the experience. But that leads to my fourth comment. Don't make it about pursuing emotion, but for some of us, we need to hear this. Don't run from the emotion either. Emotion can be a wonderful part of your relationship with God. I believe that many of us have lost this in some churches today, and I was there myself. Um, We've chosen to love God with our minds because we feel that's our enlightened way to worship and follow God. That's the Western way. We understand that the knowledge of the God and the Holy One is the most important thing. And and although that's beautiful, we then kind of push emotion aside because God is... It's theology and it's understanding the bigness of God. That's great, but emotion gets pushed aside as inferior the truth is, it doesn't have to be, out, be, be about one or the other. It can be about both. You know, we're to love our God, love God with our whole selves, right? The Bible says our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength, all of us. It's not the only part, emotions, but it does include emotions. It's not the only part. It's not the most important part. But if our God is a God of emotion, I think he's the one who created emotion, right? God is a God of emotion, and he is. I wonder why we're sometimes uncomfortable relating to God emotionally. I've set the table. 
We've talked through Psalm 95. Rob and the team's going to sing um, a song that's going to lead us into the presence of God in a beautiful way. And the, the, there are some strong lyrics, strong lyrics that are going to pull you right to the feet of Jesus if you allow it. And I want to encourage you to respond as God leads you. This is not pressured. No one's looking at you saying, are they going to do a lot and show that he listened, that she... First of all, who cares about someone else, right? We're going to listen, and then I'm going to come up and, and just lead us quickly into a time of, of, of our own singing. space between can make it stronger than we've ever seen they might be right but I disagree cause I've never felt stronger than when you're with me sometimes I wonder why you even care cause even when I leave you're always there a candle makes a brighter place this mark you've made on me can't be erased I want to be so far gone in you so far nothing else will ever do I want to be so far gone the ground sometimes I cry cause I can't believe your love is big enough to cover me sometimes I've wondered if you're even there when I feel far away you meet me there and like a candle makes a brighter place this mark you've made on me can be erased, yeah. I want to be so far gone in you, so far nothing else will ever do. I want to be so far gone in you.
so far gone in you, nothing else will ever do. Pushing the things aside and say, this is a response to God. We're going to sing together a couple choruses of our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you, you are higher. You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel, you can try this with your hands. You can, it's not the worship leader up front telling you what to do, it's you responding to God now. And please let it start with your heart, but I'd encourage you to maybe get a little uncomfortable and take a little step towards the Lord. Let's sing. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer. God is a great God. Father, thank you that (laughs) you are the God, the Lord, the capital G God, and yet you love us so much. (laughs) You love us so personally, God, and you, you ask for our hearts, God, and we can respond with our hearts or not. We can respond with our bodies or not. We can respond with our minds or not, Lord. Thank you that you give us that option, that choice. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you as we understand worship to be sacrifice, to be humbly giving ourselves our all, our all to you this morning. Thank you that we can do that, Lord. And as you give us a fresh perspective on worship, Lord, I pray that it's been a fresh perspective on you and how can we respond to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us, for bringing us into that relationship with God as we've placed our life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.